Welcome to the All About Digital Marketing podcast. The show all about digital marketing, digital marketing, digital marketing, digital marketing. Brought to you by Socialink, a digital marketing agency specializing in social media and content marketing for brave brands and forward thinking SMEs. I'm your host, Chris Bruno. And as always, we're here to bring you the most actionable tips, tricks, tools, and insights to help you achieve more when it comes to your digital marketing. Subscribe to the show and be sure to share with a friend if you found something useful or interesting. You can find all the show notes and more information on www.allaboutdigitalmarketing.co.uk. Xenia, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks so much, Chris, for inviting me. Xenia, listen, for, for those who don't know you and that don't know anything about Planable, can you give them a little bit of an insight into who you are, how you've got to where you are, and what you're currently doing? Definitely. So Planable is a collaboration platform for marketers. And uh, together with my co-founders, we started it because we worked in the industry we worked in advertising agencies before Planable, and we were extremely frustrated with the way we were working on content. Um, it was this, you know, mishmash of Excel's PowerPoints for sharing work, you know, spreadsheets for planning, social media editorial calendars, uh, email for just gathering feedback and approvals, and it was a very, very broken workflow. I felt like I was wasting quite a lot of my time. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the reason why I got into the industry was because it's a very creative and innovative industry. But then when I started working with, with you know, Google Drive tools and Microsoft Office, uh, it felt like the opposite of what I expected from the industry. And I felt like, you know, all those PowerPoints and spreadsheets and emails were just killing my creativity. So I wanted something um, that would help me work and collaborate, you know, in a very seamless way with my team members and, and with my clients. Um, so that's kind of how we started Planable to do just that, to help marketers uh, who are working on social media content to find a way to collaborate very easily and very simple, um, just to streamline their processes around the way they're producing content for social media. That's what Planable is in a nutshell. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I kind of wish that we had been introduced um, and had this conversation probably about 18 months ago. We were working <laughs> uh, as a small agency with a regulated financial services business uh, and yes. everything had to go through a, an approvals process of three oh, hours. Yes. Yeah, it's even more complicated if you're in, you know, this regulated industries. It's just, yeah, I assume you had legal involved from time to time. Absolutely, so. yes. You you know <laughs> you know this well. Um, so yeah, so we used to have, I think it was a three out of five people uh, approval process, and we used to yeah. have to mock this stuff up. Uh, I mean, again, you've just mentioned it there, Google Drive, this kind of back and forth kind of chasing, and exactly what you said, it does kill the creativity side of things. Yeah, it's a, it's a big turn off. <laughs> So tell me a little bit about yourself then. So before you started Planable, you said that you were running an agency as well? Yes. So I, I started my, my first, uh, you know, formal business, I could say. So I, I, I had different small ventures when I was in, in high school and then in, in university. But the agency was my first, you know, like serious, solid business that I, I ever started. Um, and we were focused on, on social media content creation for uh, regional and local clients back then. And I had a team of six to seven people 
Um, in parallel, I, I was still studying at the university. I was studying PR and mass communication. So it kind of, I, I was in, you know, in the industry. And then, you know, while I was building my agency, I kind of discovered this problem and I wanted to first fix it for myself. But then when I, when I didn't find anything that would fit to what I wanted, that's kind of when we started building Flankable. True entrepreneurial spirit, finding a, a, an issue or a problem that hasn't <laughs> already been solved and actually solving that. I think that's fantastic. Yes, I, I completely agree. I think that's the best case scenario for, you know, building a company is just like kind of like scratching your own itch, trying to solve something for yourself, because then you're, you know, you're your ideal customer and maybe ideally, you know, other people like you. So it's a good start. Well, I, I think this brings me on really well into to the next section, which would be you know, from my side of things and from uh, as an agency owner, obviously it sometimes can be looked at as being a little bit self-serving when I say, I genuinely believe things like social media are a huge opportunity for, for businesses, small businesses, mid-sized businesses, uh, all the way through to, it's not just for the big boys. Um, and I wanted to get your sort of impressions from that, obviously having run an agency now doing something like this, that, that helps companies of all sizes with their content creation and that process. What do you believe are the biggest opportunities currently in, in terms of digital and social media for, for businesses? I 100% agree that it's, you know, the social is, is, is very big. Um, but I think there are small, you know, upcoming opportunities that, that, you know, I would suggest people to look into, like building a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Podcasts, yeah, I think they're just going to be huge. Uh, in one year or two, it, it's just going to explode. I think it's already very, very big, but, you know, brands are, you know, only now starting to get like a serious interest in, in podcasts, either sponsoring um, other podcasts or creating their own podcast. Um, I think that's big. So audio in, in general is going to become very huge. Um, so I think that's one opportunity to look into. Yeah, but there are so many other things you can do with social, right? Like social is such a versatile landscape. You know, there's, it's, it's just a blanket with, you can do so many things, uh, so many things with, with this, you know, uh, environment. So I think there's definitely a, a lot of things uh, with social. Um, but the main point is not necessarily the type of channels you use, but the type of content that you're producing. I think that's the most important thing, either if it's, you know, podcasts, social media, newsletters, it's really about what exactly you have to offer to your industry. So I think you have to ask yourself, what's the type of data, insights, you know, stats, experience, knowledge, you know, experts that I can use to produce content and then, you know, figure out what the right channels are. Should you do it in a blog format, in a podcast format, in, you know, a Twitter chat? But first of all, it, it all starts with the content. So I think that's where, you know, you should ask yourself a lot of questions around the content topic. So I, I think that's really interesting. Um, yesterday, I gave a talk to a small group of startups uh, in WeWork Labs in Devonshire Square. Um, fantastic group of people, really, really interesting ideas, completely different. All four of the startups were 100% different. And the questions always kind of seem to come round in the same sort of way. And I think this probably is something that a lot of people struggle with, is identifying that content, what you've just mentioned there. And it's something that when we talk to companies about, you know, it's, it's always going to be dependent on who you are as a business. 
So right. y- yes, there's obviously going to be industry specifics, but you know, the way that, for example, um, Tropicana or somebody like that would help to use, to, to use social media compared to Innocent, for example, is very, very different. And I think that comes right. down to the actual brand themselves and, and who they are and how they want to come across and, and how they want to engage with people. But I think, so the, the question from my side would be for, from you, from your side of things, from your experience, how do you think is a good way for small businesses to actually identify that, to really help themselves kind of build up an idea of who they are and how they want to, uh, how they want to express themselves? That's a really, really good question. I think we're struggling with this ourselves, right? We're a small business. Um, and it all starts, I think, with, uh, there's a few moving pieces. So first of all, um, your audience. Um, and I think you need to zoom in into what type of audience you're trying to, uh, reach and that, you know, like it's a, it was a good example, you know, with Tropicana and, and Innocent. You could say it's kind of like the same audience, people who go to the supermarket and want juice. But it's really not. It's really not the same audience. People who buy, you know, Tropicana might be different, you know, than those who buy uh, Innocent. And they're tra- targeting different types of, you know, personalities, different types of characters, maybe different types of demographics even. Um, so it, it really comes to what niche in your, you know, market are you targeting and thinking, you know, about those people actually identifying them uh, at the very, you know, detailed level is the first moving piece that you need to kind of figure out, the first, you know, piece of the puzzle that you need to figure out in order to kind of build and establish that brand. And then a, a big part for small businesses is the founders, really. Uh, what they like, what they identify with. Um, that, that's, I think that's very, very important and not that many people talk about that, but I feel that the personalities of the founders, like their values and the way they see the world plays a very important role in what brand the company is going to have. Um, and I think that makes sense because, you know, you kind of incorporate your own tone of voice and your own view of the world when you're a founder and if you still have a very small team and you might be doing marketing yourself early in the beginning. So that's, I think, you know, you've done a successful job so far building that company, you know, growing it out of nothing. So you, you probably, you know, know your audience better than anyone else. Um, and, you know, probably some of the things that some of the decisions that you've made, some of the, you know, some of the values that you've already incorporated in your business have brought you where you are. So it makes sense to still have confidence in, in the type of, you know, in the way you view the world and in the type of brand you want to build and incorporate some of your own style, some of your own personalities into that. I think if we look, you know, at other, you know, businesses that became successful, if we look, you know, at their early stages, uh, we might see quite a lot of the personality of the founders incorporated and in, in the brand of the company. Uh, and I think, you know, that's one way to go at least. So I couldn't agree more, and especially for small business owners, um, like you just mentioned, especially in those early stages, you are the company. Uh, we all wish that we could start yes. businesses, you know, with a hundred million in funding and uh, build out a team. But the reality <laughs> is, the branding, the, the the voice, the the morals, the decision making, everything comes down to one person. And it's an interesting conversation yeah. I've had with tons of small businesses. 
where the founder, the business owner, who's still doing 95% of running the business day to day, they're actually a little bit worried about being that champion of the business. And I think that's probably one mm. of the biggest missed opportunities for, for so many people, because like you just said, it, it's you. People are buying into you. Even your first employees, they're coming to you. Yet yeah, you might have the most amazing idea in the world and they can see the vision for the future. But the reality is your first employees are buying into, yes, I will follow you into battle. And I think the same is true for your clients, for, for suppliers, for anybody you're going to work with. So really taking that step to, to champion your business, especially in those early stages, can be such a big asset. And it's something that so many people don't realize. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think not everyone is though comfortable with putting themselves out there, but you know, some of the energy that you have as a founder, because you're, you know, obviously extremely driven and extremely ambitious. If you put some of that energy into the brand of the company, you know, it's going to work out. It's going to, people are going to feel that it's going to, they're going to feel, you know, you know, that ambitious and that energy and, you know, that human side of the brand. So I think that's, you know, extremely important. It's, it's really interesting. Actually, I got a question yesterday from a new startup they're really working hard and their question mm -hmm. was you know how do we find our brand how do we find our brand voice how do we find our you know who we are and how we kind of come across on online and my answer was exactly that so have a look around the room there's only three of you working on this project you are mm -hmm. <laughs> you are the brand voice you are the brand yeah. guidelines yeah. and literally you know decide amongst yourselves do you talk to each other in a super professional really kind of uh, corporate way or actually do you like to have fun are you kind of voiceful uh, do you have opinions that potentially will divide um uh, will divide other people and divide your audience and trying to make this clear to people and as much as i can one you can't please everybody so i loved when you said just then earlier on you know you need to niche down you need to understand who your demographic is and actually understanding that it's okay that your content of what you're doing is only good for those people because there's going to yes. be a lot of people that aren't going to like it <clears throat> in the same way that, you know, you still get people saying that innocent is overpriced fruit juice. And then you've got <laughs> another group of people that think innocent is one of the most fun brands and they like buying their products because right. it's, it's interesting and it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that so much. I think, yeah, this it's, it's, it's really important to, to put yourself out there and to identify, you know, the type of the type of tone of voice and the type of brand you want to build uh, very early stage obviously you need to look at the competition and you know what's out there um, and find something that is different uh, that is delightfully different that is but also unique to yourself like true to yourself um, as a founder because it's going to be very hard like even if you identify in, in that industry even if you identify a niche like a, a certain brand, a uh, certain tone of voice that's not being used, but it's not authentic to yourself as a founder. It's not, you know, you don't resonate with it. It's going to be extremely hard to keep up with it, um, to be able to implement it and to make it sound, you know, real and genuine. Um, so yeah, you got to do what feels and what feels true to yourself, what resonates with you. Otherwise, you know, people are going to notice that. I couldn't agree more. And I think that's something that's, that's really, really big for, for a lot of people, you know, trying to fake it till you make it kind <laughs> of style. Yeah. 
Um, right. and, and unfortunately, we've all seen it. And actually, it's even worse as an agency owner. Uh, and I'm sure you've had this in the past as well, where somebody's trying to give you this impression of who they are, but actually everything they do screams the opposite. Um, <laughs> and you kind of realize that very quickly, that that inconsistency drives uh, a, a wedge even within themselves, within their own organizations. And it's a shame as well, because you mentioned earlier, you know, some founders aren't necessarily comfortable uh, with getting out there and, and being the kind of face or the champion for their business. But I think nowadays there's so many different ways of doing this that yeah. actually there isn't any more excuses. So we put, we try and push pretty much all of our clients towards the idea of, you know, Facebook live videos, for example, this is a tool that, you know, it's a game changer. You can now have broadcast quality content that you're creating for free, basically with a, with an iPhone. And as a small business, that is a huge opportunity to showcase really who you are, what you're doing behind the scenes, what you're all about and how you kind of, uh, how you kind of come across to people. And when people say to us, you know, yeah, but I'm not comfortable on video. You say, okay, great. Well, in that case, start writing. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. If, if you're not or comfortable video. in writing, then start getting on people's podcasts, having a chat right. with people that there's always a way to fit something in. Use photos only if you really want to, if you're really kind of worried, but give people some insight into who you are and, and, and what you're about. Yes, that's, yeah, 100% agree. I think it's, it's very important to find, you know, what you're comfortable with and, and you know, just go along with it. Um, you know, maybe you're not a big fan of, you know, long, uh, long format content. Maybe, you know, live videos are way too ad hoc <laughs> for you to, you know, to use. You know, go maybe with shorter formats of, you know, of, of content like stories, Instagram stories, or, you know, pre-planned content like, written content articles but there's just so many formats of content out there um, it's plenty to choose from and you know i'm i'm 100 sure that you can find something to fit to your style and to your personality yeah and i think following on from that you know one size doesn't fit all so because i like <laughs> doing live videos and i like doing live basically because i don't have to prepare and i can just talk naturally to a camera and just have a conversation with potentially an audience for me, that works very well. For other people, I understand that it doesn't pre-recorded, but there's so much out there, like you just mentioned, from stories to photos to, to video to podcast to written to whatever you want to do. And there's so many incredible tools out there. But what I would also say to everyone, and I don't know if you'd agree, but you know, keep trying. You know, you're in a business right now, Planable, yeah. where people can create all this content and then get the approval process and, and have this kind of conversation around it. But people should be doing this, no matter how small, how early stage try everything try it once if it doesn't work don't worry about it you can delete a live video that didn't go well <laughs> yeah so it's all about yeah it's all about experiments like treat everything like an experiment you know approach it like a really you know scientific experiment let's try a facebook live video and see if that works if it doesn't it was just an experiment you learn something out of it for sure um, and then, you know, move on to the next experiment, track it, see if it works. And then, you know, never stop, never stop iterating and never stop, you know, playing around, experimenting with stuff. I, I couldn't agree more. And if the one thing that everybody takes away from our conversation today is just <laughs> that, I'd be so happy. Experiment, <laughs> try. It's not the end of the world if it doesn't work out. And especially when you're early stages, this came up in a conversation recently. And again, you know, we're in the process of developing. So 
when we finish developing our app, when should we start our social media profiles? I was like, that. Ah, why haven't you already started? And, yes. And they said, and they, their question was very simple, but you know, it's based on this idea. Yeah, but we're not ready to launch. I said, who cares? You've got literally months or potentially weeks, months, whatever it might be in front of you to generate interest and to get people involved and actually to learn. And this is something that loads of people forget. Social media has created the quickest feedback loop we have ever had at our disposal as business owners. It, it just never existed before. You know, back in the days where people had to call in a telephone center, you'd have to log all of that. You'd have to figure out what people were calling about or even worse, written letters about complaining about things or whatever. Literally, you can launch something and within 10 minutes, you'll get feedback. And in fact, we see it every couple of years or whatever when Facebook does a massive overhaul and everyone starts complaining about the fact they don't like where the Facebook button has gone and it's moved and it's a different shade (laughs) of blue or whatever it might be. But the truth is, that's a huge asset when you're building a business. So, I, I mean, from your side of things, would you say, you know, the feedback that you guys are getting for, for Planable, does that come into to decision-making as well? 100%. It's, it's just so crucially important for us. And we've built just so many ways of getting that feedback. Again, you know, people might be comfortable doing that in writing or, you know, just giving us, you know, a star type of, you know, review. But we're trying to make it as easy for people to give us feedback and reviews as, as, as possible because that's how we learned, you know, and that's how we built the product very early on. We had so many customer development calls with people so that we can understand the industry, so that we can build, you know, a product that people actually love. So um, we're doing that in multiple ways. One way, you know, we have this board. Uh, we have different features that we're planning to do or just suggestions or ideas of features and people are upvoting them and, and leaving us um, feedback or leaving us new ideas and new suggestions of features. Uh, then, you know, from time to time, we have a group of customers uh, that are more, we're more close to them um, or, you know, they're more active in giving us feedback. So we, you know, directly get in touch with them and ask them about a certain issue, a certain feature that we're trying to build. And then they're, you know, helping us with insights from their own work life from their own you know teamwork um, so that we can learn and that we can actually you know build something meaningful for people so that's absolutely you know absolutely important for us uh, and regarding something that you mentioned you know before there is this quote you know of if you're not embarrassed by the first version of, of your product you know you've, you've launched too late <laughs> <So> <laughs> <laughs> that applies that applies not only to you know, like product development but for for so many other things you know uh perfection is just the enemy and i know that better than you know many other people because i have this issue with you know trying to make everything perfect and i'm fighting it um and that's you know this type of mentality of launching you know mvps minimum viable products uh, we're trying to implement it not just in you know in, in our own product development but in the way we approach marketing as well you know we're iterating on the go we're launching you know things and then we're improving them on the go you know gathering feedback from people or trying to make them you know as good as possible obviously that's not always possible in marketing like if you're launching a paid campaign you know once you launched it it's there you know it's it's really hard to improve it on the go um, but with many other things like a website, you don't necessarily have to like launch it and it should be 
perfect. You can launch it, then you know, constantly improve the copy, the designs, A-B test a lot of things. So I think this type of mentality of launching things when they're not when you're still, you know, a bit embarrassed, like not terrible work, obviously, but still a bit, you know, uncomfortable with the fact that it's not perfect. I think this type of mentality is very, very helpful with like shipping things, you know, fast and you know, then iterating on them, breaking them, recomposing them, um, just, you know, shipping things out there, putting them out there. Because this type of mentality of like waiting until things are perfect, you might never launch something because you might never feel 100% comfortable with the way things are, with the way your product or your, you know, marketing project is. Um, so launch it as, as fast as you can. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. So I, I think the way we've, phrased this before to people is perfection is the enemy of productivity. Right. So, you know, you can reread, re-edit, redraft a blog post 122 times, you're missing the point. The idea of this is, you know, add value to your audience, get it out there and people will tell you this was really good, but you didn't actually give us any tools or tricks or where should I go to find out more or whatever it might be. And then that's how you learn. And like you said, you can then iterate, you can go back in. But I think the, the, the nicest thing that I absolutely loved there that you said was the caveat that you added in going, when we say be embarrassed about the work you do, that doesn't mean <laughs> literally throwing up a website that says buy here and has a gif of a cat and that you feel like that's really a bad idea after you've launched it. But the idea being that, that there's so many people out there that are trying to perfect something that hasn't even had any kind of validation yet. And I think that's yeah. probably such a big issue for, and I, I say this for even small businesses that aren't necessarily online, we're not talking about SaaS or, or anything like that, but even people, I, so I've got a very good uh, bunch of friends that started a coffee shop. It was about three, four years ago now, and literally they are still iterating. They change the menus, they add new things, they ask people what they think, do they like this, do they not like this, and it's constantly evolving. So instead of saying, no, this is what I'm going to do. We're going to work on this for six months to figure out how we get the exact perfect menu, blah, blah, blah. It's literally a case of getting it out there. And again, not something that you're embarrassed about to the point of you're ashamed to have tried to sell that. But the idea mm. being that you can actually get that out there and then learn from the marketplace, learn from your customers, understand what they actually want, because ultimately they're the people that you're doing this for, right? I mean, you don't create Planable just for yourself because now you're running Planable. You're not probably using it as an agency client like you would have when you first started looking at the problem. But the reality yeah. is you are making this now for a ton of other agencies, a ton of other brands, people to be able to use and collaborate. And literally at the end of the day, they're the people that matter most. They're the ones that you want to make this product as, as most, uh, the most amazing product for those people. Yeah, well, I, I, I agree with that. Though I have to say that it's, it's very hard to collect, you know, feedback from people. You're trying to make it as easy as possible. Um, but, you know, honestly, best case scenario, the best form of getting feedback from, from people is an interview, you know, like a conversation, either a call or a meeting or, or anything. Um, anything else, like surveys or written feedback, it's not interactive and you might not get to the bottom of the problem that way um, because you have a limited space. And if it's written, if they just send you an email, they might just focus, you know, on the type of solution um, that they imagine and may, they may not focus on really what the problem is. The survey, again, you know, you have a limited number of 
of questions and it's not interactive, you can go back and ask. I mean, you can, but it takes a lot of time. So best case scenario, you want an interview or, you know, like a call or a meeting where you can ping pong questions and answers and really investigate um, the issue and the problem the customer is having, if they're willing to solve it, if they're willing to pay for it and so on. Uh, so I think it's, it's really hard, but it's an investment worth making every time when you're thinking about a new product because uh, it's going to you know, save so much time um, you know, later on. Would you agree that there's a lot of small business owners or small to mid-sized companies that are afraid of feedback? Oh, yes. Um, I, I, I think so, especially if they've already started building something for a while. It's, it's terrifying to ask for feedback because it might be <laughs> negative. might be negative and then you might discover that you've already worked on that for so long and it was, you know, for nothing. Uh, feedback is, you know, can be of so many forms. Um, when we, you know, we've built a product for a while um, early on with, but, you know, together with beta testers and together with, you know, multiple interviews with people in our industry. So we had a lot of feedback, but at the same time, when time came to actually start monetizing the product, we were so scared um, because we've worked on that and people gave us, we've worked on that for, for a year and people gave us very good feedback. But when it comes to actually paying for something, that's the moment of truth. Um, and that's, you know, the type of the most important feedback you can ever get. If people, do they buy? So when we launched, you know, our pricing plans, we were extremely scared. Is this going to work? Is this not going to work? So, yes, I think everyone is scared of feedback in a form uh, or other or other type of, you know, um, forms of feedback. But it's, you know, it's necessary. It's vital for your business. You just have to do it. It's not always nice. It's time, it's, you know, sometimes it's excruciating to hear some feedback, which you have to, it's, you know, it's a sanity check. Uh, it's just healthy for your business and you, you just have to do it. It's like going to the dentist. You don't like it, but you need to. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's, it's really cool sort of to hear you say that. And I think a lot of people out there do struggle with this. And for me, it's very much like uh, when you first start a business and you're doing sales, and a lot of people don't feel comfortable with sales because the truth is, you know, you have these conversations and you're not going to be a right fit for everybody. So whether it's an agency right. and you're pitching, whether you're an accountant yeah. and you want to offer your fear services, exactly. Yeah. And it's the fear of rejection. And I think that that sort of multiplies and goes into this as well. And I think it's a real shame because it's something that, you know, we try and explain to people that are going to be involved in sales that it's okay to hear no. It's not a problem. Learn from it. Learn from the experience. What were their objections if you can find out and then move on to the next call or move on to the next meeting and try again. It's not a problem. And I think from the feedback side, from, from my point of view as well, when I hear certain startups or small businesses talking about it, they're so fixed with the vision of what they see as being the, the, the potential win or what they see as being this perfect platform that they're too scared. Like you mentioned, you know, you've been working on this for a while. You're too scared to go into to, to that phase of listening to somebody say, no, that's not at all what we actually need. But the reality is picking that feedback and getting that feedback is crucial from, from my point of view anyway, and it always has been, but it's crucial to understanding what you're doing well, what you're doing badly. 
And I think from, from my side, even from social media point of view, if you launch a product and 150 people quickly message and say, this button doesn't work, I include that as part of feedback. It's this instantaneous loop whereby you notice things or you realize things on a much quicker way. You know, there's no need to spend hours investigating. You've now been, you've had a problem identified. And when we were talking to, I think it was Travis Ketchum from Campaign Refinery, and we were having this conversation, he basically took uh, a huge amount of time to trawl through absolutely every single message they had ever received on social media where people were having a difficulty or an issue. They took all their support tickets um, and basically categorized everything into what were the 20, 25 top problems that people were having. And some of them were super simple fixes. You know, literally they built an overlay with a couple of tips uh, and, and sort of links to videos that helped people to get through these things. And literally it's removed their customer support, their customer service for the platform. Uh, it's now down to literally not even being a, a part-time job for one person uh, on a daily basis. And this is again, a platform that's got tens of thousands of clients but these things are a great way to learn and then to be able to take action. And again, it might not necessarily be in terms of where the product goes, but it can definitely be about just improving the product that you already have or what courses or training that you could offer to your clients to help them understand how to use it better. But would you agree with that? Yes. Like there's so, so many ways of improving the happiness of your customers. Um, something that you know, we're doing is building like our help center so that people can, you know, figure out their problems and their solutions by themselves uh, faster than, you know, getting in touch with the customer support. And, if you, you know, some, some people might want to figure out the problems for, for themselves uh, without, you know, speaking to someone else. So we have that. So building a, you know, very strong help center is, is very important. But also, you know, the, the customer service. Uh, you have, you know, it's not just fixing one problem at a time. It's looking at all the other problems, you know, figuring out the pattern, what problems are repeating themselves. You know, maybe there's um, a UI UX issue there. Maybe, you know, it was the workflow was not built properly. Maybe we didn't think through, you know, about the problems. So you need to dig deeper than the problems customers are reporting. For example, if someone, you know, reports that a button, you know, something's wrong with the button, it, you know, it's not where it should be. You need to think, you know, why that person said that, like, what's, what, what was the job they were trying to do? What was the challenge they had? How did they, you know, why are they asking for that? Um, so figuring, you know, get, getting to the root of the problem is, is very important with customer support. It's not, you know, just, yes, thank you for reporting this, we'll fix it. It's trying to understand why they need that why they're asking for that, what's the deeper cause of this. And then, you know, establishing those patterns and solving, you know, those problems um, for not just for that customer, but for everyone else, you know, just improving the experience in the app one ticket at a time. I think that's the approach that we have. Yeah, I think that's a, a huge piece of advice for, for anybody. If, you know, if you hear something from, from a client, take it on board as being an issue to solve there and then to look after your client, but also look at the bigger picture. Are there processes or systems you can put in place that would make things better, that would resolve those problems indefinitely? Um, or if, like you said for yourself, if it's a, a UX, UI issue that underlying you know, could fix and make things better, uh, I think that's always going to play a, a huge part. 
Okay, so Xenia, from your side of things, what's your favorite social media platform or digital marketing platform and why? Yeah, so we're B2B SaaS, so I would say LinkedIn. <laughs> I think LinkedIn works very well for us uh, in terms of you know outreach and connecting and networking with people. So that's on a professional level. I think LinkedIn works very well for us. Um, but for me personally, yeah, Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 just, you almost sounded a little bit like you're, you're upset with yourself because it's Instagram. Yes. <laughs> yes, I know. I, you know, I, I should say something more, I don't know, TikTok or something. <laughs> Cause you know, we're building kind of like a social media marketing company. And then I say Instagram, which is very mainstream. Um, but I don't know. Instagram is just got me so hooked up hooked up it's like just so it gives it, it just relaxes me so much to plan my grid i know that's so silly <laughs> spoken like a true digital marketer planning your grid yes honestly like you know tweaking my photos and like applying filters and trying to make all the other photos you know fit together in the grid it's just it's what i do when i want to just relax myself and not think about anything uh, I, I know it's very silly but that's you know one way <laughs> so so i have to ask the question and for everybody listening as well is your instagram publicly available and can people go in to see how you've been planning your grid yes but it's nothing fancy it's just you know travel snaps and just travel travel stuff that's all of it and i have like 700 followers so please <laughs> 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 It's not the quantity that counts. It's the uh, it's yeah. the quality. So better of off course. being connected with less people that actually care than uh, than That's too many. Um, I, want, I agree with that. Yes. <laughs> but I, I think it's really interesting when you mentioned there, and again, a lot of people B two B, so they believe that you know LinkedIn is the way forward, and I think that's uh, well, it plays a huge part in us as a business, uh, as an agency, for obvious reasons. But I, I'd like to ask you again, just for others listening, what's your what sort of techniques or tools or ways do you use LinkedIn uh, to help build some of those relationships? So I think uh, we use LinkedIn most of the times before any events or like conferences, industry conferences that we attend. It's a great way, you know, you can uh, see who's attending the event. Usually every event has like an app where you can see, you know, who are the people that are attending it. And that gives, you know, an overview of, you know, who you want to meet there, who do you want to connect with. And then, you know, once we find someone that is super, super interesting to us, it's like we see, you know, the type of company they're building and we see that we can do something together, either a marketing partnership or they could really use Planable, then, you know, we're up, we're reaching out to them on LinkedIn. Like, hey, you know, I, I see that you're attending this event. It would be great to connect there for like five minutes, chat a bit. You know, exchange some um, some industry insights. So I think that's one way we're using LinkedIn, and then just for research, for a lot of research, LinkedIn is great. I've, I've used LinkedIn for research, not just for marketing, but when I was fundraising as well. That was extremely crucial for me. You know, uh, doing research on on investors, figuring out what kind of connections I have with them. You know, asking for intros, for warm intros from people I I knew and. Those people knew the investors as well. So it's very versatile. You can use LinkedIn in just so many, so many forms. It's also very important for us when we're recruiting. 
uh, LinkedIn is basically the only platform we use for uh, recruiting talent. Um, so it, it, it just has so many ways of using and, you know, kind of happy it exists. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, um, that's a really big thing. And that I wanted to ask a, a follow-up on the outreach side of things. Yeah. So for anyone listening to this, don't quickly open up LinkedIn and start spamming people. Yes. This is something that's really important. And Xenia said it really, really well there in terms of you're going to an event, uh, somebody else is going to be there. You're asking for a chance to meet, to have a chat, to have a conversation, talk about industry insights. And it's not the idea of connecting and pitching. And this is something yes. that frustrates the hell out of me. I won't lie at the number of messages I get from somebody trying to connect. And the pitch is sometimes even in the connection request. And I think, yeah. wow, I just have absolutely no interest. <laughs> yes, sometimes, very rarely, but I do get sometimes connection requests with, you know, like the notes that are personal and interesting to me and they seem useful. So if you do it this way, you know, if, if you actually research and get to know that person before you reach out to them, if you make it personal and if you make sure that what you're reaching out with to them is, you know, potentially useful. That's, you know, that's a human way of doing it. Uh, not just, you know, robotically spamming everyone. <laughs> but, but it's really funny. So again, we talk about this a lot, but I often use the, the idea of a relationship. You know, mm. when you first meet someone or you want to meet someone, the, the first thing you don't do is walk up to, 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 to a girl or a guy at the bar and go, right, you, let's go. We should get married, have two kids, buy a house and uh, live happily ever after. And, yes. and, but it's amazing though, because when it goes to online, people think that's okay. And, it, you know, you, yeah. you would never do that. And not even in a business situation, you know, you go into a, a shop and somebody walks over with a credit card machine, goes, yeah, you've decided you're going to have this. Here's a credit card machine. Give me your details. Give me some money. Like, <laughs> it, it just wouldn't work. So it's really funny yeah. how that ends up going, going into the online side of things. And then people literally are just like that, right, copy, paste, here's the offer, click, 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 click. I've sent that to 150 people. And I, I, I'd be amazed, actually. So if anyone's listening and you have taken that approach and it's worked to get you sales, please message us and we'd be happy to have a chat and get you on the show to understand how that works. But, um, but, but it is really interesting. But a lot of people won't take the time to do that or they won't take the time to ask for the introduction or they won't look at who's already in their network that can help them to expand or to, to, to get onto the next level of the person they want to connect with. And I think that's a real shame. I think it's a, a huge missed opportunity and it basically ends up getting my backup quite quickly. Um, in terms of, you know, if I've just connected with someone and I get a sales pitch, I'm like that, right, delete, there we go, next, move on. Um, <laughs> because I just don't see any value in that relationship. I don't want to have relationships like that. You know, I've, I've met hundreds and thousands of people over 11 years of running an agency. The people I've kept in touch with are the ones where you can have real conversations, where you actually, right. you, you actually develop this relationship. And I think that's so important for anyone who's starting up. Um, again, think about it as being a human being. It doesn't matter whether you do B2B, B2C, online, offline, it doesn't matter. But every single person you interact with is a relationship and it should be treated that way. 100% agree. And that, that being said, said I'm, uh, I'm not saying that cold outreach is dead and you shouldn't do it. That's okay. That's like approaching people you know, at events. You know, people you don't know, you're just approaching them and that's, that's okay. You would do that in normal life. Um, but the way you're approaching them, 
that's crucial. I think that's that's what you're trying to say as well, Chris, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, if you were at a conference, you wouldn't run up to someone and start screaming at them. I got 10% off for you. Click here. <laughs> um, so why would you do it in a message? Like, it, it yeah. seems crazy to me. So it's very disconnected that like online life is so disconnected from real life sometimes. It, it seems like a whole different universe. <laughs> but it's a real shame as well, because even when we talk about, you know, uh, I gave the talk yesterday and it was literally titled putting social back into social media. Yeah. And, and yeah. literally I keep repeating to people, you know, you're all human beings, whether we do a B2B transaction or not, it's going to be Chris sat on one side, Xenia sat on the other side of the table. There's two yeah. human beings and we, we're social people like this is normal but you'd have a conversation before you ever got to a sales pitch or before anything else happened so why would that be any different online but it, again like you said i think it's just very very disconnected from what we would do in real life and how we would talk to a human being in front of us and then yeah. all of a sudden when we get behind a keyboard see, people seem to forget that or all etiquette think, goes out the window yes i think there's the other side of this not just about the people who call outreach but I want to say something about the people who receive cold outreaches because I think cold outreach has become just, you know, we're used with this. And sometimes even like it happened to me once when I reached out to someone like genuinely, I just genuinely wanted to have a chat and it was like a personal email <laughs> and I got a please unsubscribe me email <laughs> back to me. That was painful. I was like, I, I you know, I spent time personally writing this email to you it was not part of a massive you know campaign um, so it was painful because you know you wouldn't do that to someone in real life you know someone approaching you know you you wouldn't you know just walk away <laughs> uh, so there's the other side of it you know it's you know not just the people who outreach but also you know people who receive those emails i think you know it's very different from real life that's kind of i think the conclusion of i think that this i <laughs> think should it's become really bad though. It's, it's quite an interesting conversation. So any, for anyone who is looking at doing this cold outreach kind of thing, but the, the amount of emails that we all receive on a daily basis and the yeah. amount of emails that are trying to pretend like they're mm. personalized and we've sent it just to you and, you know, it doesn't necessarily yeah. have any formatting or a, a template to make it look like that. So literally people do get it. But the, the, the problem with that is, like you said, the emails that get missed in between where people are like that, Jesus, like, please unsubscribe me. But I, <laughs> but I think it happens because, you know, we get so many of these yeah. and you end up yeah. in these loops, which really annoys me as well. So we get a lot of requests for, for people asking us to, to give them backlinks basically through our blogs and, and mm -hmm. articles. <clears throat> and it's interesting because, you know, literally they'll put us into a system whereby we'll get the first email, then it'll be the second one. So, hey, it's Rebecca following up. Did you see my first email? And then there'll be another one afterwards. And then you realize there is actually an unsubscribe button hidden somewhere down if you keep scrolling long enough underneath everything else. Yeah. And you're sat there going like, this just doesn't work for me. But I have to imagine that if they're doing it, it's a bit like the, the, the stories of the Nigerian scammers or whatever else on email. If they Someone keep, replies. yeah, if they keep doing it, then there must be a reason, you know, somebody must be actually buying into this sort of stuff. But it's a shame because like you said, you end up missing out on real opportunities or missing out on real connection because of the fact that it's, it's mixed in with so much fake or bad or just even a lot of people that just, you know, there's no effort. Like literally they're not putting any effort in to, to try and make it better or to try and make it 
interesting or engaged or like you said, you know, you, you spend that little bit of extra time researching, understanding who the person is, identifying people who you have in common. There's a whole network out there that you can get involved with. And I think we unfortunately get a little bit lost because of the, uh, the, the excuse the expression, but the shit that, um, <laughs> yeah. that flies around too much and, and that takes up too much of our inbox uh, real estate. Yeah. So did you, did you ever get like a cold email that was actually interesting? Uh, it's a really tough one. So we've had recently more than anything else, actually, we've had quite a few platforms um, message us and say, Hey, like, you know, we've noticed that you, uh, you wrote an article about, you know, top video editing platforms that are super simple for people to use for their social media. Um, you've missed us off. And literally right. like that, well, we haven't missed you off. We haven't come across you before. Um, <laughs> so that's the first thing. And, and again, it's not, uh, you know, even as part of, uh, of, as part of getting ready for this uh, podcast, I was actually looking into just how many different platforms that there are that have some sort of a take on social media, scheduling, planning, approval processes, right. whatever it might be. But you know, that there is, it's a very big world as it were, and there's companies right. coming up every day and there's new people and one thing other. But what's been interesting recently is we'll go back and I'm, I'm quite, good in terms of if somebody's taken the time to write a real email and they've researched who's who that is that they're emailing you know my email address is on the website so if somebody hasn't bothered to look at our website and email me directly then i know the chances are they've just literally gone onto a, a directory and they've stolen our our sort of generic email but mm. when we get that email and i go back to them and i'm very honest with people and i say look we don't offer link backs like that um, we'll only write about products and platforms that we actually use uh, and we've actually ended up having really interesting conversations with people because they do say well try it like give us your real th thoughts and feedback you know they're, right. they're not asking yes. for anything fake they're not asking for crappy reviews or whatever else but they're literally genuinely saying like we'd be interested in knowing as That's an fair. agency how do you find this what do you think and if you do like it then tell other people about it um, and it happened to us recently with i think it was lumen five um, mm. for the video yeah, stuff. We've used them, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and they hadn't come across our, our radar because, you know, we've been doing this so long, I guess, that we've kind of got stuck in our own ways and we use our own tools or the ones that we've liked more or the ones that we've kind of just always used. So it's nice to get those kind of emails and have that conversation. But I think there's a way, if you can get somebody to interact with you, and sometimes it's more simple than, than, than complicated kind of thing. But if you can be open and honest and not try and sugarcoat it and, and make it sound like it's something that it's not. So for example, you know, when you're asking for a backlink or one thing other, and I get a request for an email that says, you know, oh, your readers are going to love this. You absolutely have <laughs> to link to it. Literally, like I, I'll reply to them going, hey, can we have a backlink from your website? Question mark, And that invariably kills the conversation dead. <laughs> but the idea being, you know, why not take that little bit of time to say, well, what about this? Or, or having looked at something honestly or saying, look, not asking you to put this in, but have a look, what do you think of our infographic or something like that? I'd be 10 times more likely to actually engage with that conversation because at least I know somebody's not trying to hoodwink me or trying to sort of pull the wool over my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I think the best ones for me are as well the ones that are, you know, obviously well-researched. And they're useful. I get a lot of outreach from, you know, outsourcing companies, um, but it's just so easy to do a bit of research on, on Planable and see that, you know, our internal engineering team is in-house and, you know, we, we have our own team. Um, so there's no need, uh, you know, we do not have the need you're trying to address. Um, so just figuring out if, 
if those people have, you know, if the people that you're, you know, outreaching to have the need, have the problem or not. I think that's just that that's that's important to do. Um, you know, you can you can still do cold outreach, but it needs to be a bit more research and a bit more human. I couldn't agree more. So we get probably two requests a week from outsourcing for content. And we mm. kind of sat there going, you know, that that's our biggest core service that we offer. <laughs> so, yes. so, so literally, if, if we start outsourcing at all, what do we all do? Um, you know, there's five yeah. people in a team that do this every day for clients. I don't really understand. But again, yeah. people don't take the time necessarily to, to look. And again, a lot of people right. are either just sort of scraping email addresses or buying lists and banging this content out. But I I think invariably, like you mentioned, it can happen every now and again that, you know, you like the email where somebody goes, please unsubscribe. And it's actually a genuine email. But I think if you look at it as a percentage of the overall, you know, if you've taken the time to research someone and you've taken the time to create an email, especially for them, most people can tell. Uh, And I think again, it's, it's probably only, I don't want to say bad or nasty people. I was going to say a rude word, but I've been told I need to, to swear less. Um, but you know, th- there's very few people that are honestly going to just respond to that going, yeah, whatever, or unsubscribe me. And it, it's a shame that that's kind of the, the, the mentality that we have, but it's because of how much crap and spam we do actually receive. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, Zenia, listen, this has been absolutely awesome. Uh, and I hope that we could do this again sometime because I've really enjoyed yes. the conversation and I think we could probably carry on talking for another couple of hours on all these different <laughs> subjects. Um, Zenia, where can people find you online? Uh, not just yourself, but at the company as well, but what's the best way to connect with you? Yeah. So myself on LinkedIn um, and the company, it's planable.io planable.io. And, and I have to ask as well, because everyone is going to want to know what's your Instagram <laughs> username so that people can check out your, uh, your planned out grid. Definitely. It's Xenia Moon, M-O-O-N, don't ask. <laughs> there you go. Everyone go check it out and make sure you comment and say, you said that you planned this. Uh, I don't understand what's <laughs> happening. Um, <laughs> Zenia, listen, thank you very much. I wish you the best of luck with everything. And uh, we'll be checking out planable.io as well. Uh, And we recommend anybody else, small agencies, or if you're working with clients, even freelancers, this is a great way to to be able to create content and to get approvals. Uh, And I think that's something that we've all struggled with if we've ever had to go through that process. Yes. Thank you so much, Chris, for taking the time to chat. It's been a pleasure. We will catch up very soon. Yes. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Remember to subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. You can find all the show notes on www.allaboutdigitalmarketing.co.uk. If you're looking for more help with your digital marketing, I'm excited to tell you that the team at Social Link has launched a brand new education platform focused on helping all brands and businesses with their social media marketing. If you'd like to find out more, simply visit www.postlikeshare.com. You'll find all our latest training, courses, coaching, and resources available to you. Simply sign up today. Till next time. Thanks, everybody.